0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8. We continue our study through the Old Testament. So we have to remember what has happened thus far, where we see restoration in israel where the formula is right remember our, our prior studies in the previous chapters and if you're a new listener go back and listen to our study through first samuel chapter one and then get yourself caught up and so you know the victory that we see in israel it comes as a result when the formula is right and that's where we see the effectuation of god's promises you see and it's through obedience And where we ended last week, we see that Samuel, he was a judge of Israel for all the days of his life. And also remember that we're in the judges era. And if you're listening for the first time, you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, go back and listen to our study through the book of Judges. There's a lot of lot of things that we we study in the word of God. Every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. That's what the Bible says. And so we take the full counsel of the Word of God and we apply it to our lives, you see. And that's the life of a believer. And, you know, what's so beautiful is that, you know, we see these things in the Old Testament. But don't forget that Paul, the Apostle Paul, New Testament, New Covenant, he's the one who says that these things of old, they're written for us. You see, they're written for our admonition, for our warning so that we can know, so that we can learn and we see and understand the nature and character of the Lord. And so just as, you know, we we studied the book of Judges, which is, you know, it's very beautiful, very painful at the same time. And then we also know that in the Judges era, there are certain cultural tendencies, certain cultural tendencies, and it's not unlike today not unlike today. And so here we are in uh, uh, chapter eight First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 8 and Samuel here, he's an old man. First Samuel chapter 8, he's an old man. and we see here in first uh, uh, Samuel chapter 8 verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel or Joel. and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons, verse 3, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. And, you know, it just so happens that we study this in our Sunday study. If you're if you if you're listening for the first time and today is like your first study, go and listen to our Sunday study. Very important. And we see in our Sunday study through the book of Mark how The focus of a person changes and how it can change where the focus is on the Lord. And that's a good thing. But then it can change to things of the world, the cares and the riches of life and things that are other than the Lord. You see, and we just studied this on Sunday. And, you know, it, it, it happened with Demas in our studies through uh, uh, when when Pastor Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy. And we mention it on Sunday, too. Remember our pastoral uh, pastoral epistles, our study through the, the Timothys and Titus and Philemon. And we see that it happened with Demas. And we mentioned it in our Sunday study, too. But at the same time, we see how Paul has his inner circle, the tiny bubble. And Paul, in Acts chapter 20, we see how he warns the shepherds of Ephesus how even the shepherds can become wolves and that some of them will become wolves. And it happens by various means. But the eventuality is that the focus is no longer on the Lord. You see? It can happen with anybody. You see? It happened with them. Damas was in the inner circle. And you look at the inner circle of Jesus, you see, and it happened with Judas. And so we see here with Samuel, it even happens in the sons of Samuel very important, every single one of us individually, not corporately. Now the only deviation from the, you know, our individual choice to honor the Lord and fear the Lord and obey the Lord and walk with the Lord. The only deviation from this individual choice is when there's children, little children, you know, like a, a two year old doesn't know. A two year old can learn very basic concepts, Age three, four, five, you know, baby girl starts to learn and continues to learn. But then right around you get to a certain age where, you know, baby girl, she knows what's up. You know and baby girl is held to account and then there comes a time where baby girl has a choice to make for herself and so with little kids, you know, there are, there is some deviation with the the, the, uh, 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 the decision that every single individual has to make for themselves The deviation is when parents care for their little ones You see but then the little ones grow and then they reach a certain age where they are now held to account for their decisions for their choices and remember, every single human being, every single human being is born into Adam. Born into Adam. Born into sin. And you can see it with the child. You say, a fresh baby. A fresh baby boy. A fresh baby girl. And, you know, it's so beautiful. Age one, age two. Age, they, they're walking. But then you start to see decay. You start to see decay, even in a little child. I mean, there's innocence, but then you see corruption, how innocence can be corrupted when, you know, baby girl takes a cookie. You say, okay, you know, only one cookie, baby girl, eats like 10 cookies. You see, Hey, baby girl, I told you one cookie. And you know, she has uh, the crumbs all over her mouth and everything, baby girl, I told you one cookie and she's got 10 cookies. You start to see how she was disobedient to the parents. You see, and then she says, Oh, I didn't take any cookies. I only took one and you see all the cookies are gone. There's just crumbs. She ate all of them. You see, and you see why well, she not, not, not only was she disobedient to the parents, but now she's lying and she's so cute, baby girl. She's so cute. She's got the crumbs and it's so cute. It's so adorable. But at the same time you start to see corruption, you see, because she's disobedient to parents and she's lying. And you say, well, it's just, a, it's, just it's, it's, it's no big deal. She's just a little kid. Listen, it's a huge deal. And that's why parents, if you're a parent and you're listening, you have to address these things when they're young. And you know, I'm not talking about, you know, you know, baby girl, you know, you, you did all the cookies and you did all the you, you you I see all the crumbs and you're lying. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, go out and stone her. But she has to learn. You see, she has to be corrected. Children have to be corrected. And it's so easy when they're three, four, five. It's so easy. It's super easy. But once you start to slip, you know, parents, if you're listening, once you start to slip and you start to let that go, you know, baby girl's going to be 15 one day. Little boy, he's not going to be tiny little boy. He's going to be a big linebacker one day. And so all of a sudden, you know, when, when kids turn 17, 18, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, parents start to taste the fruit of their labors. And it doesn't even happen then. That's kind of late. You know, you taste the fruit of your labors even sooner than that. It's very important to understand. So, you know, you might wonder when we look at the sons of Samuel, how, you know, they became corrupt. And then you look at the sons of Eli. And you may wonder like, well, wait a second. What's different? How was Samuel different from Eli? Because both were dads of two sons. Both were dad. You know, Samuel was a dad of two sons. Eli was a dad of two sons. And with both Samuel and Eli, with both of them, their, their, two sons, their two sons straight up, they entered crazy town. And so what's different about Samuel and Eli? Why was Eli on the receiving end of God's judgment and Samuel is not? Why is that? Because they, 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 they each have two sets of kids. They each have two kids. And both of the kids turned to crazy town. And the answer comes in one simple word and one simple concept. You know what it is? Roof. Roof. In the case of Eli, the high priest, he was an active participant in his son's wickedness by failing to correct them. Remember our study in the prior chapters? He failed to correct correct them, uh, his two sons, and they were under the same roof. Service in the same location and the same capacity, the same priesthood in Shiloh, remember? Where Eli as high priest as Kohanim and his sons were in succession. And as a result, Eli the dad beared responsibility. Dad bears responsibility. And that's Eli. And in the case of Samuel, under the same roof, raising his sons. Raising his sons under the same roof, teaching his sons, instructing his sons. And in the course of time, his little boys became men, trained in a good way. And then the two sons are appointed as judges in Beersheba. Then Old man Samuel returns home to Ramah. Remember our story that his home was in Ramah? But there's something different when it comes to Eli and Samuel. The three, Samuel and his two sons, the three are no longer under the same roof. Samuel is in Ramah. The two sons are in Beersheba. You see? Now you look at All of them, you see, they all have the same function as judges. They're all Levite, but we also see different capacity when you consider Kohanim and Samuel as prophet. And remember, when we say function, it's, remember our study in Torah? If you've been walking with us for a while, remember our study in Torah? Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the whole purpose, the whole purpose is for people to be right with the Lord so that people can be clean before the Lord so that Israel can be clean. So you take the six men. You take the six men. Two dads, each of them with two sons, a total of six. You know, one dad with two sons, that's a total of three. And then another dad with two sons, and you know, that's a total of three. And I'm terrible at math, but three and three is six. And all of them, all of them, We're on the receiving end of God's mercy, all of them. And in the course of time, by their own choices, mercy started to disappear. And then something else becomes evident. And you know what that is? It's God's judgment. And that's what happens when mercy was squandered. That's what happened with Eli. And then you look at the roofs and capacities And then who bears responsibility? Eli bears responsibility for his sons. Samuel does not. Why? Different roof. Different roof. His sons were in another town. Now, there's something I want to say to parents. And I love you. If you're a parent, I love you. But there's something I want to say to you. And most of the time, parents get really mad when I speak about adult kids still living at home. (laughs) Parents get very, very mad. And the kids get mad, too. But it has to be said. Parents, I love you. I love you. I love you. But if you have adult kids still living at home, what you allow in your home, you bear responsibility. And that goes for all all kids. You know, if your kid is, you know, 2... 10 15 but you know age 18 19 20 25 28 29 30 parents what you allow in your home understand you parent bear responsibility because kids at age two you know that's easy you know age five baby girl you know hey you know can i have a cookie baby girl go ahead and take one cookie And then, you know, you you want a cookie. It's like, you know, 20 minutes later, you want a cookie. You open the cookie jar. Everything's gone. Baby girl ate all the cookies. You see, and baby girl, I told you one cookie. And she's like, I only had one. I only had one. She's got all the crumbs, you know, all over the place. Her face is just a mess with chocolate. Everything's just a mess. Baby girl, number one, baby girl, you're lying to me. And then, you know, baby girl, number two, you're disobeying me because I only told you one cookie. And it's, okay, baby girl, I love you, but, you know. We got to handle some business here. You see, and to discipline a child. I'm not talking about, you know, go out and stone baby girl. No, but she has to learn. She has to learn. And when baby girl's five years old, that's a piece of cake. You see, when baby girl is 10, it's still relatively easy. But when baby girl's 15, when baby girl's 16, 17, it gets more difficult. It can still be easy, but now when baby girl is 15, what happens with parents? Parents are going to taste the fruit of their labor. When baby girl was two and five and eight. See, when baby girl learns at age, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, when baby girl learns that, you know what? I can't lie. You know, I remember when I lied about the cookies and you know what? I'm not going to lie anymore. I remember when, You know, uh, 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 mom and dad told me, you know, just to take one cookie and I took, you know, 30. I ate all the cookies and, you know, my tummy felt ill, you know, and, you know, I got in trouble. I was grounded, you know, and baby girl's going to remember like, wow, you know what? I'm going to listen to my parents. Baby girl's going to learn, wow, it's not good to lie. And so when baby girl learns at age three, four, five, six, seven, what happens is parents, you're going to taste the fruit of your labors. When baby girl's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And she's going to remember and know because she's been trained in the right way, knowing that, wow, it's not good to lie. I got to listen to my parents and baby girl at age, you know, 13, 14, when baby girl can start to understand certain things. Now she's going to understand why you made the decision to teach her and instruct her in the manner in which you did. Now she's going to realize, oh my goodness, just like we studied on Sunday. It just so happens, it just so happens we mentioned this on Sunday where baby girl's going to realize like, you know, like, wow, I, now I know why my parents raised me this way. Because baby girl at age 15, she's going to be reading her Bible and she's going to be like, wow, this is why, this is why mom told me this. This is why dad said this. And she's going to realize like, wow, they were just obeying the Lord. And so baby girl at age 13, 14, she's going to be like, wow, you know what? I'm going to obey the Lord too. And it's so beautiful because parents, you can taste the fruit of your labor. And it doesn't have to be between, you know, 5 and 15. It can be between, you know, 3 and 4, 4 and 5, 5 and 6, 6 and 7. You know, it. these are things that happen. And if you guide, well, parents, I love you. If you guide, well, age 14, 15, 16, it's going to be easy. But parents, I love you. If you failed in guidance, age 14, 15, 16, it's going to be very difficult, very difficult because, you know, baby girl with the cookies, you know, she didn't learn, you you know, the parents laughed. You know, you might be a parent and it's like, you know, I told baby girl one cookie, she ate the whole, she ate the whole, everything, you know, and I wanted a cookie 20 minutes later and it was all gone. And I was laughing at baby girl. I took pictures of baby girl and, you know, put it on social media so everybody can do the likes and be like, oh, wow, look, she's so cute. She's so cute. She's got the chocolate this and wow, you know, get family get togethers. Oh, you know, baby girl, we saw you with the chocolate and all oh, that was so cute. That was such a cute baby picture. And now what baby girl is learning is like, wow, this is a good thing. Baby girl at age five is learning like, wow, you know what? I, di- I disobeyed my parents. You know, I was told one cookie, I ate 20 cookies. And then when I was called on it, you know, I lied about it and said, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. And then all of a sudden, parents are laughing about it. You see, on social media, everybody's like, wow, you know, making their comments. Oh, wow, this is so good. This is so good. Wow, she's so cute. She's so cute. And then family get togethers and baby, the the uncle is saying, oh, you know what? I saw the picture and you were so cute. And baby girl's learning like, wow, this is a good thing. It's a good thing to lie. It's a good thing to be disobedient. Wow, that's a good thing. And the whole time these seeds of wickedness are being sown, they're little tiny. When baby girl's, you know, five years old, it seems like it's no big deal. But then baby girl's gonna be age 10, you see? And now it becomes a bigger deal. Because now baby girl's been age five, six, seven, eight, nine, and now she's 10. She's been learning this whole time, like, wow, it's good to lie. I say this little lie and people like it, you see? I disobey my parents and, you know, look, you know, everybody comments like, wow, look, you know, this is popular. Baby girl's on social media at age 13. And she's like, wow, you know what? My parents liked it when they got the likes on their social media. And so look, now this is how I get the likes on social media. And then baby girl, age 14, 15, and she's like, you know, all about the gram. I gotta get, I gotta get the likes, I gotta get the likes. How do you think baby girl's gonna get the likes? Parents can say, hey, baby girl, don't dress like that, don't dress like that. Baby girl, it's like, oh, it's a good thing to disobey my parents, because I remember with the cookies, it was a good thing. So it's a good thing to disobey my parents. So I'm going to dress like this, get all the likes, and wow, look, it's good. I'm going to post these pictures and do this, and wow, look, it's a good thing. You see? That's what happens. And it comes at great hardship unto the parents, you know, parents of teenagers. It comes at great hardship. Parents who have failed in training their kids when their kids were little. When they're teenagers, I love you, parents, but it's kind of too late. It's kind of too late. Because now the kids have to make their own choices. You see? And depending, you know, if, if you're a parent and you have failed, and it can come with tremendous hardship, and not just hardship, it's hardship plus sorrow plus brokenheartedness. You see? And then when baby girl's 15, 16, and she's learned like, wow, look, it's all about the grandma. I got to get my likes and this, and I'm popular now, and and my parents can say this, but I learned from them. It's a good thing to lie. I learned from my family. It's a good thing to lie. It's a good thing to be disobedient to my parents. Where do you think baby girl's going to find love? Where do you think baby girl's going to find relationship? Not in a godly man. You see? And there are very rare cases where parental guidance is non-existent and a child grows up. Okay. Very rare cases. Very rare cases. But in those very rare cases, it comes at a great cost. A very great cost. And when parents fail to correct a little child in his or her own ways, the child grows. I mean, you see baby girl with the cookies at age five. It's so cute. It's so cute. But listen, the baby girl has to learn like, you know, that can be cute. You know, the, the, the image of a child with the cookies, that, that might be a cute thing, but it has to be addressed. It must be addressed. It's much easier at age five. It's much easier at age five than it is at age 15 because baby girl becomes 15, becomes 20, becomes 25, and the error only gets worse and worse and worse. And what happens if baby girl never leaves home, never leaves home. She, you know, 18, you think your baby girl's going to leave the house. But nowadays, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fluoride in the water. I don't know what it is, but kids don't like to leave home. Age 20, age 25, age 30, the kids don't like to leave home. And what happens is that the air only gets worse. And then at the same time, you know, baby girl's 28 years old. And she's learned this whole time that, wow, it's a good thing to disobey my parents. It's a good thing to lie. And a child walking in wickedness at at, at age 28, walking in wickedness, living in wickedness, never leaving home. And what that means is that baby girl is living under the same roof. The same roof of dear old mom and dear old dad. And that's saying if the parents are still together, because nowadays it's dear old stepmom and dear old stepdad. And while under the same roof, while under the same roof, parents of adult children are partakers and complicit. You see? And being partakers and complicit in wickedness. What happens with parents? Parents, I love you. But you also bear responsibility for the wickedness of the children. You see? And that's what happened with dear old Eli. That's the error of dear old Eli. Formerly, Formerly on the receiving end of God's mercy. And by his own choices, mercy expired. By his own choices, he transitioned to the receiving end of God's judgment. And he's dead. You see? And not just Eli is dead, him and his kids, dead, judged by God. You see? very important to understand and parents i love you parents you know they hate me when you know we speak of these words we speak these things we speak on these things and parents don't like it and parents today but i love my kids i love my kids and you know oh you look at at, at age 20 oh i love my kids look she's still in her room and he's still in her room i love my kids i love my kids the, the, the same room when baby girl was five years old and she's 25 years old and still living in the same room But I love my kids I love my kids listen Let the Bible teach us how to love Let the Word of God teach us how to love the full counsel of the Word of God because we are to love in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord you see, because the world has an idea of what love is, but that's the world. You remember, Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. And the world has an idea of what li- what love is. Absolutely. The world, they can define the world and they do define what love is. But the Bible defines what love is. The matter is, what choice do we make? You see, do I want my brand of love to be Based on what the Bible teaches or what the world teaches? You see, we have a choice to make. Do you want your brand of love to be what the world says or what the Bible says? You see? Because with Eli, good old Eli, Papa, Papa Eli. With good old Eli, he absolutely loved his kids. He absolutely loved his kids. But God, God called him on it. Straight up, he called him on it. Remember our study in chapter two where God says, you know, he doesn't speak directly through Eli. Very important. Eli's high priest and God doesn't speak directly to to, to Eli where, you know, in in Torah, the Bible specifically says that the Lord will speak to the high priest. Except here, God's not speaking directly to Eli. Why Why do you think that is? Wrong formula in Eli. And God called him on it, but he spoke through another. Remember our study in chapter two. Where God says to Eli, you honor your sons more than me. You honor your sons more than me. You see, Eli, he loved his kids. The problem was that he loved his kids more than the Lord. You see? And therein lies the problem with parents. When kids are honored and loved more than God, that's not good. That's not good at all. So we look at Eli and we look at Samuel. Both are dads except one dies and the other lives. You see? Now, you might be listening and you're that parent where it's like, oh my goodness. You know what? You're starting to realize like, whoa, I failed. I failed. And I fully realize that there are parents listening. That hearing these words don't really like me right now. I'm not getting any Christmas cards this year. I understand fully. I understand that these words sting. They sting. I know they do. But listen, all truth stings. All truth stings when confronted with the carnal, all truth stings. When confronted with the flesh, because the flesh is at war with the spirit. The flesh is at war. Things carnal is at war with things of the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something, parents. Don't run away from this thing. Do not run away from this thing. And that's another big problem. Is that people feel the sting and they're like, oh, you know what? I don't like these words, so I'm going to go over here. They find the pastor that's going to tickle their ears. They find the teacher that's going to tickle their ears and say, oh, you know what? You, you, you have your 25-year-old son still living at home and he's a crackhead. You have your 23-year-old daughter and she's doing the Ouija boards and, you know, both the kids are sexually active. And you have pastors say, oh, look, that's so nice. That's so nice. No sting to those words. Yeah, you got a pastor, all right. But there's no sting to words that needed to be said and words that need to be heeded. You see? So that a person can realize like, oh my goodness, like, wow, this isn't a good thing. I can't have this in my home. A person can realize like, well, you know what? My son is doing the crack and my daughter's doing the Ouija boards and both of them are sexually active. They have their boyfriends here, their girlfriends here, and it's all, I'm condoning it. And the parent needs to realize like, oh my goodness, I'm a partaker of this. I'm an enabler. I'm a partaker. I'm complicit in these very behaviors that are not pleasing to the Lord. Look at Eli. Was, Was he without excuse? You see, very important to understand. And so a lot of times with parents, parents, they run to another pastor. They run to another teacher. Oh, I'm going to go to this pastor that's going to tell me good things. That's going to whisper sweet nothings in my ear. And I'm not going to feel like, you know, I'm not going to feel like, you know, the words are abrasive to me in any way, shape or form. But understand that the truth of God's holy word is always, always, always abrasive to the flesh. Always. Always. Because truth confronts the flesh and when truth confronts the flesh, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. You see? And if you're a parent and you're listening and you have those adult kids under your roof, understand, listen you're complicit in their choices. You're complicit in your in their choices, just like Eli. And if these words that we speak, if they sting your soul, your soul, it's not like, well, you know, you you know, you you failed and, you know, have a nice life. No, 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 no. We got to get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up so that you and me, I know you're a parent. And if you're a parent listening, I know you're a parent, but listen, so that we can be clean before the Lord, you and me, so that you and me can be pure before the Lord. And if you're listening and you're just now realizing that as a parent, you know, you made some pretty bad choices. You know, baby girl's 25. You know, your son is 25, maybe 30. Still living at home. You know, he's got his girlfriend and she's got her boyfriend. And now they're living in your house and doing the sexual stuff. They're not married. And, you know, they're doing the drugs and the Ouija board. And then you're starting to realize as a parent, like, you know what? I could have done better when baby girl was five. I could have done better. Listen, let past be prologue. You're starting to realize like, well, you know what? I, I made some mistakes. Let me tell you something. If that's you, you're a parent, you're listening, and you're starting to realize like, well, I, I didn't raise my kids so well. You need to repent. You need to repent. you must repent. And you listen to the message, hit pause, and then listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus, how to commit your life to Christ. Except for you, you recommit your life to Christ. Recommit your life to Christ. Very important to understand. It's so that you and me can be right before the Lord. We can be clean and pure before the Lord. Now, I'm going to say something more for parents. If you have adult kids living with you that are living in wickedness, And a lot of times this is where parents make huge, huge, huge mistakes. But if you have adult kids and they're living with you in your home and you're a partaker of their wickedness, well, you know, you get right with the Lord, you recommit your life to Christ, you know, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and you recommit your life to Christ. And then you come back and you listen. And so here we are, but I'm going to say this. And if you have the adult kids that are living in wickedness and it's under your roof, now before kicking out the kid, before kicking out the kid. And I don't like saying it that that way, but that's something that needs to happen. But before that happens, and this is where parents behave wrongly. Sometimes you see the parents, what happens is they immediately kick out the kid. They just figure, well, you know, I I, got to get my house in order. I got to get my house right. And so, you know, hey, baby girl, boom, you're gone. Hey, son, boom, you're gone. Hold on. Pause there for a moment. I mean, don't hit the pause button, but pause in that thinking, in that train of thought. Because what needs to happen first, first, you know, you've recommitted your life to Christ. If you're the parent and you've made these mistakes in training up your kids, and yes, they were mistakes, but sometimes when I have these conversations with parents, sometimes they don't know. Sometimes they have the adult kids living with them, And then the parents become Christians. Usually it's the mom. The mom becomes a Christian. And so the mom becomes a Christian and the mom's like, well, you know what? I'm I'm a Christian and you know what? I see that my life and my home is a mess, but... My husband doesn't see it. My kids don't see it. My adult kids are living like this. They're living like that. And so, you know, that's why Paul, when he writes in, to the Corinthian saints, you know, does that mean that, you know, if, if you have a a, a a believing husband, does that mean you divorce the husband? No way. Don't do that. Irreconcilable differences. You know, that's a, a big excuse that people use for divorce. no. Our marriage is unto the Lord, the better husband. Our marriage is unto Jesus. You see, very important to understand what the word of God says. Now, if you're a parent and you're the the only believer in the house, no, you hold on to your husband or if you're the husband, you hold on to your wife and you hold on to your kids and you're the standard of righteousness in your home. It's gonna be difficult, but praise be to the Lord. You're a believer and you pray for your kids. Pray for them. Pray for your spouse. Pray for them. And so we have to address the wickedness first. And so if you're a parent and you're realizing like, wow, my house is out of order. You know, my kids, I have adult kids. They're doing the sex. They're doing the drugs. They're doing the Ouija boards. They're doing all kinds of different things. Listen, address the wickedness. Address the wickedness first. And then at the same time, what comes next is we have to address your heart you see, and addressing in in addressing the wickedness, you know that's where we get rid of the drugs, the paraphernalia, the Ouija boards, the occult. You know, you probably have to change the Wi-Fi passwords. You know, you know, put parental controls on the TV, the whole nine yards. You cannot be an enabler to wickedness. You cannot be an enabler to wickedness. And then, parent, if you're just now realizing that, well, you know what, my house is out of order. I got the adult kids. Listen. You recommit your life to Christ. And then now that we have to address the wickedness, you have to get rid of the drugs. You have the son that's doing the crack. You have the daughter that's doing the Ouija boards and the crystals. No, you get rid of all of that. All of that. Not the kids just yet, but you get rid of all the stuff. All the idols. All the things that are not right before the Lord. You cannot be an enabler to wickedness. Do not be an enabler to wickedness. And then what you do is this, you warn the child, you warn the child, 25 year old child, 28 year old child, 32 year old child still living at home, never left. You warn him, you warn her and you say, Hey, major changes are happening in my heart. These changes are happening in my heart, in my life, in my home. And I'm aligning myself to the Lord. Straight up, tell the child. And you tell the child, hey, you're welcome to stay here for a short period of time. And, you know, parent, you're going to have to determine the appropriate time. It might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a year, but make the designation. And then something else has to happen in that time. Parent, parent listen to the studies that we have on growing in christ maturing in christ very important go to the and listen to those studies on how to grow in christ listen because a lot of times what happens very important remember our study on sunday about spiritual warfare and satan fights cheap but remember our study on sunday What happens is that parents, they just figure, Oh my God, they come to the realization, like, Oh my goodness, my life is a mess. And they take, they say, Hey, baby girl, boom, you're out. Baby girl's 25 years old. Hey, you're out. You know, same day, baby girl, you're out of here. Hey son, you know, 28 year old son doing his drugs and crack and sags. Hey son, you're out. And what happens in doing that? And this happens with a lot of dads. It tends to happen with dads more than moms. And what happens is that the dad behaves in that way and the wife doesn't necessarily like it, you know, but both mom and dad, both mom and dad, when this happens, they can make a good case to justify their sentiment where like a dad can say, well, I got to have my house right before the Lord. And so, boom, I kicked them out. My house has to be clean. So, boom, I kicked her out. And then the mom can make a case. Well, you know, but I love him, but I love her. And both can make strong cases and understandable cases. But what happens when a parent kicks out a kid, an adult kid, you know, 25, 32 year old never left home doing the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the Ouija boards and the chakras and the crystals. And when parents kick out a kid, it's very often, very often, almost, I don't want to say 100% of the time, but I'll say like 96.3% of the time. It's done with the wrong heart. It's done with the wrong heart. And what happens is that the kid, yeah, they're out of the home. But the kid's left in the dirt. And then when the kid is left in the dirt, their heart turns hard toward the parents. Their heart turns hard towards the parents and their heart turns hard toward the Lord. You see? And I've talked to adult kids that have been kicked out. And they say, you know what? I hate my parents. I hate my mom. I hate my dad. Well, why What happened? They kicked me out of the house. They kicked me out of the house when I was, you know, 23 years old, I was doing my, my college homework, I was doing this. All of a sudden my dad storms in and says, Hey, you know, pack up, you're out. And it's like, the kid was left in the dirt. You see, very important to understand whenever we make, whenever we get things right in the eyes of the Lord. There has to be moments and periods of time for grace and mercy. We see that in the Lord himself. Anytime you see judgment in the Bible, there's always, 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 periods of time where there's grace and mercy. And so parents, you have to remember that. Because a lot of dads, it happens with moms too, but mostly dads. Dads just say, boom, hey, son, you're out. Hey, daughter, boom, you're out. And daughters kick to the curb. Dads kicked to the curb. You see? You know how easy it is to seduce a kid who's kicked to the curb? What do you think is going to enter his life? What do you think is going to enter her life? Where do you think he's going to find a roof? Where do you think she's going to find a roof? And it's all because of the behavior of the parents. Never forget that every single time in the Bible, there's judgment. There's always a period of mercy and grace. Always, always, always. And so what happens with kids that are left to the curb and kicked to the curb, you know, the, 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 hearts of the kid gets hard, very hard towards the parents, mostly towards the dad, because the dad is just like straight up, you know, kind of like, you know, like, I gotta have my house clean before the Lord and boom, you're out. And so a lot of times it happens with dads, sometimes with moms, but the heart of the child gets hard towards the parent and then the heart also gets hard toward the Lord. And then when parents try, you know, maybe they get together after like, you know, five years or 10 years and the parent tries to talk to them about the Lord. And it's almost laughable. Where the kid, you know, the kid's like, what? You're going to talk to me about the Lord and you say you were following the Lord and you kicked me out. You left me to the curb. You see. The heart is hard. They don't want that. They barely want to be with a parent like that. But you're going to talk to the kid about the Lord? You think they're going to want that? No way. What they're going to want is Satan. Because Satan whispered sweet nothing. Satan seduced them. You see? And the kid is left at the curb. And the kid feels the hurt of carnal behavior. Carnal behavior. And wants nothing to do with the Lord. Because the parent... The parent was behaving abruptly. And that's what happens with carnality and the works of the flesh. It's not of the Lord and the parent thinking he's right, thinking she's right. They behave carnally. They behave abruptly. They behave in the flesh. And the parent has the wrong heart. And in the course of time, what happens? The kid has a hard heart, but in the course of time, the parents tend to fall away. You know why? Because there's no root. Just like we studied on Sunday, there's no root. Because parents that behave abruptly and carnally and in the flesh, they're babies. They're not mature. They're babies. They're milk drinkers. And what does our Lord warn us about the milk drinker? There's no root. You see, that's how Christians fall away. That's how believers fall away. You see, what happens is the kid wants nothing to do with the Lord. And then what also happens is the parents fall away. You see, you see how crafty Satan is. You see how crafty he is. Where parents can, they can go to the milk drinker church. They can go to the church where they whisper sweet nothings. Milk drinkers. They're not a threat to Satan. Satan doesn't mind babies because it's not a threat. You see how crafty he is? And the whole time the parents think they're doing the right thing. But in the course of time, everyone has fallen away. The mom, the dad, the kids, everyone has fallen away. You see how crafty Satan is? Our enemy, Lucifer? That serpent of old, do you see how crafty he is? He doesn't fight fair. He's cheap. He doesn't fight fair. And he was a murderer from the beginning. And understand, we want to win your kids to Christ. We want to win your kids to Christ. It's very important. That's why we say sometimes parents, it's like, okay, I want to get my, my, my heart right with the Lord. I want to get my home in order. What do I do? And then figure, okay, you know, how am I going to break this to my kids that they got to get? I'm going to kick them out. You know, how do I do? It's like, hold on. Don't do that just yet. Remember, there's periods always in the Bible. There's periods of grace and mercy. You first, parent first. You have to be clean and right before the Lord. You have to be pure before the Lord. That's why we say recommit your life to Christ. If you're listening, you're not a believer. Don't recommit your life. Commit your life to Christ. Very important. And now that you've committed or recommitted your life to Christ, Now you are pure before the Lord. You are clean before the Lord. Now what? Do I kick out the kid now? My my kid, he's at home playing video games. Instead of getting a job, he's 25 years old, playing video playing video, video games, doing the crack, doing the sex, doing the Ouija boards, all kinds of things. And then on his off time, he's playing video games. Do I kick him out now? No. First, kick out the wickedness. Kick out the wickedness. Get rid of all those things, the gaming system, you know, the the alcohol, the drugs. Get rid of all of it so that your home can be clean. Your heart is clean. Remember, you've committed your life to Christ or recommitted your life to Christ. Now you are clean. But then now what's next is your home. We have to get your home in order. So change the Wi-Fi passwords. get Get everything in order. Don't kick out the kids. But you're going to have to tell your kids, hey, you know what, five more months, six more months, or you know, seven months. You're going to have to tell your kids, hey, you know, the, 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 what's happening? No, those days are over. So you tell your kids, hey, five months, it's over. You know, start looking. Start looking for a place. Start looking for an apartment because in five months might be, it might be a week. It might be two weeks. It might be a month. But put a time there. You see, don't kick out your kids immediately because their heart is going to be hard and you're never going to win them to Christ. They're going to turn to Satan because Satan, you know, Satan loves that. Satan loves hard hearts. Satan loves hard hearts. You know why? Because all he has to do is point his finger at the Lord. Baby girls, you know, 25 years old, kicked to the curb by dear old mom and dear old dad. Baby girls, you know, 23 years old. And Satan can whisper, what kind of God would do that? What kind of God would treat you like dirt? You see? Your parents tell you that God is good. Your parents tell you that God is love. And they're Christians? What kind of of loving God would leave you in the dirt like this? What kind of loving God would make your heart hurt like this? And then Satan says, Hey, come here. Walk with me. Don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. And then Satan says, "Hey, you know, come with me. Let me introduce you to this guy over here. He'll treat you real good. Let me introduce you to this lady over here. She's gonna treat you really good. And on top of that, let me introduce you to these, you know, to these mushrooms. You know, you'll feel real good. Let me introduce you to these quaaludes. You're gonna feel real good. And then all of a sudden, baby girl gets trapped in a lifestyle." You see what happens? And then the parents, you know, like 10 years later, five years later, you know, the parents, they have a get together and they're like, yeah, you know, the baby girl's like, okay, yeah, I'll see you. I, I can barely stand to see you, but you know, here we are. Yeah, we'll, we'll eat a sandwich. And then the parents try to talk to her about Jesus Christ. And it's almost laughable. What? You left me in the dirt. You left me in the dirt. You see? it's almost, You're not going to win your, your kids to Christ that way. And so that's why we say, you know, don't kick out the kids yet. But you got to kick out the wickedness. You see? And that's why we use these time delays where you first address the wickedness. You know? Kick that out immediately. Warn the kids. Say, hey, five more months. You know, next month, hey, two months, five months, seven months. And then when that warning is given to the kid, remember, there's always a period of mercy and grace. Then what happens is that we address your heart. We address your heart, not the kid's heart. We address your heart. And we want that beautiful, precious heart to be softer than the softest jello. We want circumcision of heart so that your parental behavior, it's not Carnal and not even parental behavior, but just behavior plain and simple So that it's not carnal, but it's that of the spirit you see And the entire you tell baby girl hey, baby girl She's 25 years old, you know son is 25 years old doing the video games the sex, the Ouija boards all kinds. Okay, Ouija board gone You see crack gone alcohol gone And so now you have kids at home adult kids 25 25 years old and the whole time, parents, you pray for your kids. You pray for your kids because look what has happened. The parent has got their heart right with the Lord and the kids are still there, but there's no crack. There's no alcohol. Wi-Fi passwords are changed and slowly. And you tell your kids too. like, you know, don't just do it like plain and say, you tell your kids, Hey, I'm doing this because I'm getting my life right with the Lord. I'm getting right with the Lord, you see, so that your kids know what's up. And then parents, you pray for your kids. And you know what the Lord can do? Do you know what he can do? He'll fight on your behalf. And he'll change the stubbornness of the child. The Lord can fight on your behalf. And just like Israel in battle, the formula must be right in you. The formula must be right. And that's for victory, specifically for victory. The holy formula for victory. It has to be right in you. You see, very important. And when the Lord fights, kids, they're not going to be stubborn anymore. You see, they're going to understand. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It can't, you know, your kids aren't going to have to go to therapy. They're not going to have to take their drugs. You know, they're not going to have to, you know, take their prescriptions. It's supernatural. The Lord does it. And so five months pass, you know, your deadline for the kid. You tell your kid, hey, baby girl, five more months. The deadline for the kid has passed. And you know what happens? The adult child has already moved out. The battle was no longer yours because the Lord took it and he fought for you. That's what happens when the formula is right. Very specific formula. That's what happens. And you won't just say victory and pretend you have victory like many believers do. No, 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 no. You're going to have straight up victory. And it's going to be real. And it's going to be evidenced in your home. Evidenced by fruit in you. Evidenced by your choice to obey the word of God. It's what we call effectuation. You know what else it is? It's the hand of God. Straight up, the hand of God. Very important. And parents, if if you're listening and this is you and you're like, wow, you know, like writing notes, like, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. If you have adult kids in your home and you now know that you bear accountability unto the Lord, I'm going to give you a little tip. I'm going to give you a little tip. Tell them everything. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them that you're getting your life right with Christ. Tell them. I mean, if you're like, if you've recommitted your life to Christ, or if you've committed your life to Christ, tell them, tell them. I mean, your kids probably going to think you're crazy at first. You tell them, "Hey, I'm getting my life right with the Lord. I've become a Christian. I've recommitted my life to Jesus." Tell them and the, the baby girls I'm like, "Okay, you know, she's crazy. You know, he's crazy. They're going to think you're crazy probably." Or if you're recommitting your life to Christ, they might kind of mock and be like, "Okay, we'll see how that goes, you know. Next week I'll I'll be doing my crack again. We'll see how that goes." But listen, what they don't know is that you're going to be growing and you're going to be maturing in the course of time. But tell the child, tell your kids. Hey, five months, you know, this isn't gonna happen anymore. Baby girl, I love you, but this ain't happening anymore. Hey, my son, I love you, but this ain't happening anymore. Five months and boom, it's over. So start looking now. You know, Ouija boards burned, crack burned. You know, Wi Fi passwords, you don't know it. You see, cell phone plan, boom, you're off it. All these different things. You're getting your life in order. You're getting your heart right with the Lord. And you're getting your home in order, you know, because it's to please the Lord. And tell the kids, this is what I'm doing. Son, I love you. This is what I'm doing. And the kid can know what you're doing. And the kid might laugh about it at first. But then the kid is going to know like, whoa, you know what? She's serious. Mom is serious this time. Dad is serious this time. They're going to know that you're making these choices to honor the Lord. You see? And through this all, you love the kid. It's not to say that you hate the kid. No, you love son or daughter. You love them. But you refuse to honor and love the kid more than the Lord. You see? Very important to understand. And for parents... Just as we want you pure before the Lord, we also want your kids to be pure before the Lord so that God is honored by all who claim his holy name so that he is glorified by all who believe, you see? And, you know, you might want to even play this message to them. I mean, you say like, hey, baby girl, five more months. I love you. Five more months. This is over. You know, son, I love you. Five more months. This is over. I'm getting my right, my, my life right with the Lord. I'm clean before the Lord. And, you know, here, listen to this. You know, this is going to help me. Listen to this. And then the kid might realize something. The kid might realize, you know what? I want to honor the Lord too. I got to get my life right with Christ too. You see? And I've had these conversations with both Parents and adult kids, I've had many, many conversations with families in different home situations. Adult kids that, you know, we say 25 in these examples, 23, 24, 25, you know, 30 even. But I've I've had these conversations with adult kids that are in their 50s, still living at home in their 50s. And parents usually don't like these conversations at first. Because parents tend to think that it's an affront to their love. But remember, the world and the Bible have instructions on love. But only one is holy. Only one is holy. And then the kids usually don't like it either at first. You know, most of the time the kids tell me, you know, Hey, stop calling me kid, Stop calling me child. You know, I'm, I'm 25 years old. Stop calling me a kid. I'm, I'm 30. I'm 40. I'm 50. Stop calling me a kid. And if you're listening and you're an adult child still living with mommy and daddy, I love you too, but I have a simple question for you. What are we supposed to call this behavior? I've had these conversations with the adult children and they usually don't like it. A lot of the millennials usually don't like it. Very sensitive generation, which fulfills prophecy. You know, many being offended in the last days. It's fulfillment of prophecy. But I've had these conversations with like 28-year-olds, 25-year-old, 23-year-old, and even like 32-year-old. As high as 50. And the adult child doesn't like it. You know, don't stop calling me a kid. Stop calling me a child. But straight up, what are we supposed to call it? What is it? What are we supposed to call this lifestyle? When we know it's not mature, we know that it's not adult so what's left you see and these kids you know don't call me a child i'm i'm 32 years old don't call me a child i'm 23 i'm 24 years old i'm college educated don't call me a child it's like what do we call it what do we call it you see And then the kid usually says, oh, but I can't afford an apartment. That's what they always say. I can't afford an apartment. I can't afford an apartment. Okay. Have you looked on the other side of the tracks? You see? But it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous over there. Okay. So you want affordable and you want safety. Okay. Nice criteria. Here's a nice place. It's out in the boonies in Kentucky. You see? No offense to Kentucky listeners, but then the kid says, well, wait a second. I want to live at the beach. I want to live in Malibu. Okay. Why are we having this conversation? Because you know what? Somebody better get a job. Very important to understand. Everybody tries to justify behavior. We all do it. Everybody does it. We try to justify behavior, but when. God, the almighty, when he is the ultimate authority, I still want to be justified, but it's according to him. You see, it's according to him. It's according to his word. Because we all try to justify behavior, to justify carnality, to justify the flesh, to justify sin, to justify wickedness. When the Lord is Lord, like when He is Lord of your life, of my life, we still have justification, except it's in accordance to His Word, not what the world says, but in accordance to the Word of God, and this absolutely can be achieved—justification in the Word of God and by the the Lord. Absolutely, but it's never outside of Christ. Never outside of Christ. It's you and me. We are the ones who yield to the Lord. You can be a failure of a parent. You can be a failure as a kid. You can be a failure at anything. You can be alcoholic. You can be a druggie. You can be homosexual. You can be violent. You can be lesbian. And you come to the door, capital D, You come to Jesus and we, you and me, we enter the door and boom. You know what happens? Straight up, I'm not lesbian anymore. You see, I'm not alcoholic anymore. I'm not a failure parent anymore. I don't do the Ouija boards anymore. Why? Because we came to Christ and we entered the door and we abide in him. It's a complete denial of the former ways when we were on the outside. And once we are in the inside, you and me, he, the Lord, he cleans us up. It's supernatural. How does that happen? How does the Lord clean us up? Belief, obedience, and remember Brother James, the two are inseparable, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, you might be listening and you're lesbian and you're kind of mad at these words that we speak and you're lesbian and you're like, you know what? That's not what happens. You might be alcoholic and you're incensed. That's not how it happens. You might be Calvinist or Catholic or Lutheran and you're just straight up mad. That's not how it happens. You might be in the occult. You might be a Satanist. That's not how it happens and all I, I just have a simple question. How do you know? How do you know straight up? How do you know? And how will you know if you refuse to enter? You see? It's so simple. You know, the Lord says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say come to me and you have to get hundred percent on the SAT. He doesn't say, you know, come to me and you have to get, you know, a plus plus on this calculus exam. He doesn't say that. And if you're listening and you desire to not just come to the door, but enter the door, listen. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. You, you might be Satanist. You might be Lutheran. You might be Calvinist. You might be lesbian. Listen, that's nice. That's nice. Enter the door. You'd be shocked. If I were to tell you how filthy I was when I came to Christ, you'd be shocked. Jesus cleans his own fish and he'll do it with you. Very important to understand we're in the last days. It's not a time to play games, not to suggest that there was ever a time in history to play games, but we have to understand what the word says. And so here we are in first Samuel chapter eight. And so, you know, it's like, wow, you know, we, we kind of went off topic, but did we really? And sometimes I have these conversations with people like, well, you really went, you really went, you know, off topic there, but did we really? Because we look at the sets of sons, we look at the sets of sons, we look at Eli's sons, we look at Samuel's sons, and they all became corrupt. You see? And Eli, under his roof, he was held to account. And Eli and his two sons, they're dead. The Lord took them, remember, in judgment? The Lord told Eli, he didn't speak directly to him. Very important to understand. He was high priest and the Lord wasn't speaking to him directly. The Lord spoke to him in judgment by a messenger. And the Lord says to Eli, hey, I'm taking your kids. They're done. They're dead. You see, to whom is given, much more is required. And all of them were on the receiving end of God's mercy. God is not mocked. And Eli was held to account because it was under his roof. And by failing to correct his kids, he was complicit in their wickedness. Him, him himself becoming wicked. Why? Because he honored his sons more than the Lord. And so you might be thinking like, wow, we're really off topic. No, we're not. We're not. Because the topic is holiness. And how is it that you and me can be holy? You see? And it's never outside of Christ. It's only inside of Christ, which is why we say, come on, come inside, enter the door. So with Samuel's sons, they became corrupt, but not under Samuel's roof. You see? Samuel's sons were seduced. Their focus changed to things other than the Lord and justice was perverted. That's what happens. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our study in the law? Do you remember our study in Torah? Where we made mention of certain statutes and ordinances that were very good but how they could easily become corrupted. Do you remember? And we use the example of the city of refuge. I mean, say, say for example, you and me, were in the Old Testament times and the days of Moses. And say, for example, you know, you kill me on accident. Remember? You and me are, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while and remember those studies in Torah where, say, say, for example, we get in my time machine, we go back in time and Moses is alive. Except you and me, were working on a house. And you're on the roof. And you're on the roof and, you know, you move wrong, you adjust wrong. Maybe your elbow hits something or you turn, you adjust and your hip hits a, hits a stone. And a stone comes loose and it rolls down and it falls on my head and it kills me. That's a total accident. Complete and total accident. Well, there's ordinances and statutes in the law. Where there's a city of refuge where you can go while judgment is made. Where judgment is made and it's determined. You know, they they entered these elders. They enter deliberations, so to speak. They kind of get their fact-finding. They get all the details. Families can come, you know. You killed me and my family might be mad at you. Like, oh, he killed me. He killed, you know, you you killed my brother. You killed my brother. You killed my brother. And then the elders are going to determine, no, it was an accident. You see? There are ordinances and statutes in the law where we see that the law is good. The law is good. Remember, the law is still holy, but there's a greater glory, and that's Christ, the law's fulfillment. The law is still holy, but it's a tutor to bring us to Christ. And there's this example we give where you and me, we're working on a house and you kill me, but it's an accident. You know, you turn, your hip hits a stone and boom, you see the stone roll and you're kind of like in shock. You see the stone roll and you know, I'm like, you, you hear me like whistling and then you hear the thud and what happened to the whistle? No more whistle. Then you look over the roof and boom, I'm dead, but it was an accident. But then let's say, for example, you and me were working on a house, except we got another guy with us. You and me are on the ground and this other guy, he's up on the roof. And instead of an accident, like the previous example where you kind of turn, you adjust and your hip hits the stone and boom, say goodnight, I'm done. But instead, in this case, you know, you and me were on the ground and there's another guy on the roof and instead of an accident, say he picks up a heavy stone and he hurls it down at me and instant death, smash skull, I'm done, say goodnight. So I'm done. In both scenarios, I've died. One is accident and the other is straight up murder. You see? Now by ordinance of law, with the accident, you live. With the guy who murdered me, he should be stoned to death. By ordinance of law, he should be stoned to death because it's straight up murder. But let's say this particular guy also goes to a city of refuge. And the elders consider the case. They say, okay, there's this guy. He's accused of murder. We can't even say murder because, you know, they they were working and here's this guy. He's dead and, you know, smash skull and say goodnight. He's done. And this other guy, he's in the city of refuge. And they claim that by his hand, he died. And they claim that it was murder. But we're going to see. And so the elders consider the case. But then let's say this particular guy who came to the city of refuge who murdered me, say he has he has a rich uncle. He has a rich uncle and the rich uncle goes to the elders. And he bribes the elders. You see? In the elders, when the formula is right, they're straight up reject the bribe. Straight up. They they would reject the bribe and introduce complicity with the uncle in their deliberations for judgment because now by their bribe, by by the rich uncle's bribe, now the the rich uncle is now partaking and now the elders are going to be like, okay, so, you know, this guy committed murder and now that you're complicit, now we have to enter deliberations to see if we're going to stone you too, if you're going to get stoned. That's what happens when the formula is right. Now, I'm not advocating that. When we speak about stoning, understand, we are new covenant believers. There's only one who is qualified to cast stones, and that's Jesus Christ. And he doesn't cast stones yet, we'll say. He does not cast stones yet. But understand, judgment is coming. You see? Remember, there's always a period of mercy and grace before judgment. Always, always, always. And so, in this example we're using, in the elders, when the formula is wrong, their focus would turn from the Lord. Their focus would turn from godly responsibilities. And the elders, they take the bribe. You see? They take the bribe. Now, understand. The law. The law is still good. The law is still holy. But the law has gaps that it cannot account for. And that's faith. You see? And that's faith. Very important to understand. Remember our study in Hebrews? And Galatians? And Leviticus? In the Old Covenant. Remember our study in Hebrews? where the vast majority did not have the mixture of faith. Very few did. Very few. And so what's revealed is an inability of the law because it points to the law's fulfillment, which that's the Messiah. You see, the law's fulfillment. Son of David, yes, according to the flesh. Son of God, yes. Yes according to the spirit, you see? And it just so happens that we touched on this in our Sunday study. It just so happens, it just so happens. And so even with Samuel's sons, where we see in verse three, that here in uh, 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 1 Samuel chapter eight, we see in verse three, that they didn't walk in the ways of Samuel. They turned aside. After dishonest gain, they took bribes and perverted justice. And so if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Torah where we would always say it and we would always say how, yes, this is a good statute, but it leaves room for corruption. This is a good statute, but this leaves room for corruption. This is a good statute, but the door is open for corruption. You see? And that's what happens. That's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. It happened with Samuel's kids. But because of the separation, it's not under Samuel's roof. You see? Is Samuel complicit in their behavior? No, they're in Beersheba. You see? Samuel's in Ramah. And Samuel trained them up. He trained them up well. And then... Samuel puts them in Beersheba and has them as judges in Beersheba. And then all of a sudden, they make their choice in the course of time. Just like with, you know, mercy. Mercy and Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, they were all on the receiving end of God's mercy, except by their own choice, mercy expired. Why? Because they took advantage of God's mercy. They took advantage of God's grace. And by their own choice, choosing to be wicked. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. And it happened with Samuel's sons. They became corrupt and justice became perverted because they took bribes. And this is sad. You know, it's devastating. And it absolutely has repercussions for Israel. And, you know, for me, I wish, when we look at these homes and we look at these men, for me, I wish I could gather all the moms in the faith. Every single mom who's a believer. I wish I could gather all the moms in the faith and speak for maybe 15 more hours on this. Maybe even 20 more hours on this. But we'll table that for another time, if the Lord permits. So look what happens here. You know, from chapter 7 to chapter 8. Here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 8. But from chapter 7 to chapter 8, some time has passed between the two chapters. Where, you know, in chapter 7, we seem to be back on track. Chapter 7, remember, formula restored. Okay, the ark has returned and Israel is victorious and in battle. But in the course of time, the, the gap of time between chapter 7 and chapter 8, you see, judges have become corrupt. And this absolutely has repercussions on Israel. And so look at verse four here. In verse four, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. So we, 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 we see what's happening here in verse four. The elders, you know, they, we, chapter seven, remember the, the ark has returned and, you know, the formula becomes right in Israel. We see victory in, in battle and wow, everything, chapter seven, everything looks, everything looks, Nice. Everything looks beautiful, and then we get to chapter eight. It's like, whoa, what happened? You see the sons of uh, uh, of Samuel's like, whoa, what, what has happened? And so we look at verse four that the elders of Israel they gather and they come to Samuel at Ramah. Now remember, Samuel's an old man. Samuel's an old man. We see in chapter seven how he would travel to certain areas. Remember the end of chapter seven, and you know he would go over, you know from town to town to town, and here he is. He's old man. He's at home in Ramah. And all the elders of Israel, they gather and come to see him. Now, just for a moment here, put yourself in old man Samuel's sandals. Put yourself in his sandals. Remember, this is a man who has deep intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord is with him. And so he sees the elders approaching his house. Put yourself in his sandals for a moment. In Samuel's sandals. The elders are coming. Are they coming for fellowship? Are they coming to report news? Are they coming so that we can pray together? And so all the elders of Israel are getting closer and closer and closer to Samuel as they approach his house and Ramah. And look what we discover in verse 5. Look what happens here. In in verse 4, they came to Samuel at Ramah, in verse 5, and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. And so notice, all the elders of Israel, this isn't the people. These are the elders, you see. And among the elders, there should be wisdom and understanding. And there is a semblance of wisdom because they point out the obvious. They point out what is seen. They point out that, yes, Samuel, you're old. You're old. Yes, you know, your sons have become corrupt. And the elders can see that. The elders can recognize that. And that seems like a good thing. But in their brand of wisdom and understanding, what is the solution? You see, they can see that. They can see, okay, Samuel's old. They can see, okay, his sons have become corrupt. So now what do we do? And look what they say to Samuel. They say, now make us a king. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So notice, all the elders of Israel, they come to Ramah. They come to old man Samuel's house. And these elders are supposed to have wisdom and understanding. They're supposed to have that. And they look around. They look around and they see the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Philistines. And these people have a king. Why doesn't Israel have a king? These people have a form of governance with their king. Why doesn't Israel have a similar form of governance? You see? Now, remember the words of another old man? Old man Moses. Beautiful, beautiful old man Moses. Old man Moses told them, hey, hey, you're going into you're going to, you know, you're gonna enter the promised land. You're gonna enter this land. But remember, he tells them, old man Moses tells them, you are a consecrated people unto the Lord, unto God. You are a consecrated people, you are set apart unto the Lord. Do not partake of the things and of the ways of these peoples around you because you are the Lord's people and he is our God and that's what old man Moses said to them and here we are in first Samuel chapter eight after many moons and all the elders they forgot the warning of Moses Samuel he didn't forget he didn't forget See, the elders, they can identify a problem. They see, you know, Samuel, you're old. Your kids, they're kind of crazy. They've, they've become corrupt and they entered crazy town. They can see they have a semblance of wisdom. But it's of the world. It's carnal. It's of the flesh. Because they say, okay, here's the situation. You know, Samuel, you're old. Your sons have entered crazy town and now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. They forgot the warning of Moses. And beautiful, beautiful Samuel in verse six. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. You see? Remember, Samuel, he has intimacy with the Lord. He's with the Lord and the Lord is with him. And for Samuel, his king is the Lord. The same Cannot be said for all the elders. And they do have a brand of wisdom to identify certain things. They can see, but what they're blind to is direction. You see? They can point out, okay, Samuel, you're old, your sons are crazy, they're corrupt. And then they say, so make us a king. They're blind. You see? It's just like with pastors. It's just like with pastors. You know, hey, pastor, I have a problem. And the pastor can identify problems and issues. But when it comes to direction, hey, pastor, I got a problem. I got a problem. Pastor says, okay, that's a problem. Let's go grave soaking now. You see? Hey, pastor, I got a problem. Okay, yep, that's a problem. Let's partake in holy laughter. You see? Hey, Pastor, I got a problem. Okay, yep, that's a problem. Let's pray to the Spirit and call this glitter the Holy Spirit. Let's pray the rosary. Let's pray to Mary. Let's pray to the angels. Hey, Pastor, you know, priest, priest. Hey, don't call me priest. Call me Father. Okay, Father, I got a problem. Okay, light these candles and go to Mass. Hey, Pastor, I got a problem. Yep, that's a problem. God is sovereign and He willed this to happen. You see? There is a worldly wisdom where people can identify problems. Pastors, elders can identify problems. But what's the next step? What's the course of action? Where a young lady can go to the pastor. Hey, pastor, can I talk to you? Something happened. And then the pastor says, hey, God is sovereign and he willed this to happen. And the person can say, what? I was raped and I'm supposed to rejoice in God's sovereignty? I was raped and and you're telling me that God willed this to happen? the pastor says, yes. According to reformed theology, yes. And then the pastor says, God is sovereign and we cannot understand his ways. You see, their doctrine is wrong. Their doctrine is completely wrong. And people go to these pastors, or go to these elders, they go to these priests and they want guidance. And these sources that they go to, they can absolutely identify the problem, not all times, but you know, some of the times they can identify the problem, but the issue is what's their course of action? What's the next step? You see? Go grave soaking? go go to the cemetery and lay on a gravesite? You see? There's absolutely a wisdom of the world. But it cannot touch the wisdom of God. And the elders here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the elders, they forgot the warning of Moses. They forgot. And they want a king. Samuel, he has a king. And it's the most high God. It's the most high God. And this beautiful, beautiful old man, Samuel, he's grieved Look what happens here. So Samuel, in verse 6, so Samuel prayed to the Lord. I'm so in love with Samuel. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. I wonder if he had conversations with his beautiful mother, Hannah, beautiful mama. Remember when she was grieved and had problems? What did she do? She prayed to the Lord. And here Samuel is. He's an old man. Hannah has passed away. She's just sleeping, and I wonder if he remembers. Wow, I remember when Mama had problems, when Mama had issues, when Mama was hurting. I remember when Mama would go to to go to the Lord and pray. I wonder. And so Samuel here, he's an old man, and he's praying to the Lord. An old man, Samuel, he goes to the Lord, and remember, he has intimacy with Him. He has intimacy with God. And this isn't a new thing with old man Samuel. I mean, we saw him when he was a child. Remember our study in the prior chapters? We saw him when he was a child and his choice to honor the Lord. Because when there was no widespread revelation in those days, when there was silence, when the Lord was not speaking to the high priest, the Lord was speaking to little Samuel. You see? And Samuel from a young age made a choice to honor the Lord. And his whole life in offering, his whole life in offering to the Lord, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And here, Samuel's grieving. He's straight up hurting, he's hurting. He goes to the Lord in prayer. And in the word of God, the Lord reveals to us and gives, gives us a glimpse of this beautiful and holy exchange. In the prayer life of old man Samuel, I I love passages like this where we see like, you know, when, when a person says to the Lord. And then I especially love when we see and the Lord says, you know, and the Lord responds it's like, well, we're, the Lord is showing us like a, a little picture, like going inside the prayer life. And that's what happens here in verse 7. So Samuel praised the Lord and in verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel heed the voice of the people in all that they say to do for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me that i should not reign over them whoa this is heavy 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 sometimes i really think hard about the prophets in prayer and out of prayer, but mostly in prayer. And I think hard about the prophets and I wonder what were their lives like before they were called of God? What were they like? What was life like for them before they got their calling of the Lord? Were friends and family liked them? No friction. Maybe even they had a lot of friends. Maybe. And I wonder if before they received their calling of the Lord, I wonder if certain things disturbed the prophets. Things about the religious establishment that the prophets knew. The prophets knew like, hey, you know what? This doesn't align with the word of God. And I wonder if the prophets just figured, well, you know, that's the way it is. I'm not a priest, so I guess that's just the way it is. I'm not a prophet, so, you know, what can I do about it? And then one day, one day they receive a call from the Lord where the Lord says to these particular people, speak, do not be silent. You see these, these prophets in the old Testament, the minor prophets, the major prophets, They didn't ask to be hated. They didn't ask to be ridiculed. They didn't ask to be made fun of. They didn't ask to be abandoned. They didn't ask to be killed. In the course of time, before they received their calling, friends and family, maybe even a lot of friends, but in the course of time, no more friends, no more family, as the people doing what is right in their own eyes are confronted with the words of these prophets who speak about the Lord, who speak about His ways, who speak about His nature, who speak about His character, and how we must align ourselves to the Lord according to the Word of God. And in the course of time, the prophets become hated. You see? And I wonder if down the road, in obedience to the Lord, when the Lord tells them, Speak, don't be silent. And in obedience to that call from on high, I wonder, I wonder if the prophets grew to be terrified of the people, terrified of the people. Not terrified of their threats, not terrified of their ridicule, not terrified of their attacks, not terrified of that at all. But I wonder if the prophets of old were terrified of the people. Because the prophets were in love with the people. I wonder if the prophets wore their hearts on their sleeves And I wonder if the prophets were terrified of the people because they easily fall in love with the people. Easily. uh, Ten second conversation. Boom. I love you. And I wonder if the prophets were terrified because they knew that the truth of God's holy word is abrasive to a people who have forgotten him. And yet the prophets continued in obedience to the call of God. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, they called the lonely prophet and the weeping prophet. Where Jeremiah would say, you know, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And the people, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. You're so dumb, Jeremiah. We're of the elect. You say this, but look, our prophets say this. You say that, but look, our priests say this. Jeremiah, you're so stupid. We're of the elect. Get out of here with that mess you speak. Then Jeremiah would weep. He would weep in solitude, seemingly alone, but the Lord was with him, and he was with the Lord. You see, Jeremiah didn't ask for that life, he didn't seek out that life. Jeremiah sought the Lord. And it's the Lord who says to Jeremiah and all the prophets, speak. Do not be silent. And we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, beautiful Samuel, he's hurting. He's hurting. He's He's displeased. And he goes to the Lord in prayer and the Lord tells him in verse 7, heed the voice of the people in all they say to you. Because they have not rejected you. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. This is an extremely rare case where the Lord says to heed the people. And we must remember who the Lord is speaking to and with what purpose. We have to remember that because what happens in these last days, I've heard wicked men make excuses for sin by using this verse to support their own wickedness. And they speak from the pulpit. You see, these elders, you know, here in in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the elders, they didn't come to Samuel saying, hey, Samuel, let's go get drunk. And then the Lord says, Samuel, heed the people. No. And I don't say it like that. And in that manner, and I don't bring up the subject. I don't say it like that to sound irreverent. But understand, in these last days, there are wicked, wicked, wicked men. Who twist the scriptures to support their wickedness. And they speak from the pulpits. Oh, you know, the the Lord told Samuel to heed the people, and look, I'm just heeding the people like the Bible says. Number one, you ain't no Samuel. Fool. These wicked men, they speak from the pulpits. They call themselves pastors. But when you understand the formula, You know, that ain't no pastor. I cannot heed that fool. You see? It's why we stress formula, formula, formula. You have to understand formula. And in verse 7, we see many interesting things here. We see the assurance of God unto Samuel. Samuel, they're not rejecting you. The Lord reassures Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. Remember, Samuel's hurting. He's disturbed that the wisdom of Israel within these elders in whom the formula should be right. He's he's hurt that they ask him. Remember, Samuel's an old man. Samuel's an old man. He's not a child. He's not a child. Remember in chapter uh, chapter 3 verse 19, where in chapter 3 verse 19 Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And so here in chapter eight he's an old man, beautiful, beautiful Samuel, he's an old man and he's hurting, he's grieving. And I wonder if in his prayer to the Lord, if he had a thousand questions, Father, Father, what's happening? I wonder what his prayers were like unto the Lord. What is happening? My Lord and my God, was it all for nothing? Father, I poured my heart. I poured my life out to them. Was it all in vain? And then the Lord says to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people. Heed them. Heed the voice of the people, which is very interesting because the Lord doesn't say, Heed the voice of the elders. No. God says, Heed the voice of the people. And this reveals something to us. The elders... The formula was supposed to be right, but something happened. The elders became yes men because the voice of the people represented in the, the, the elders instead of the word of God represented in the elders unto the people. Now it's the other way around. The elders, they became yes men. They're following the people instead of following the Lord, you see. And this beautiful old man on his face, Samuel, he's on his face before the Lord Father. What in the world is happening? Picture Samuel like he's in his house all by himself. He's in his house. He looks up. He sees the elders, people he knows. He sees them coming. I wonder what this is all about. Then they come and go through the cordial things. Hey, how you doing? I don't know what their, you know, forms of cordial beginnings are. But, you know, maybe there was a little time of, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, how's the family? But then they get into the nuts and the bolts of the reason for their visit. Samuel, make us a king. What? Almost like like a punch to the stomach. What? Samuel, make us a king. The Lord is our king. We follow him. And Samuel remembers the warning of Moses. We are a consecrated people. We are set apart for the Lord and his whole life. From a little child, his whole life. Sacrifice and offering and prayer and fasting for Israel, and here we are at the end of the road. Father, what in the world is happening? I poured my life out for them. Was it for nothing? Was it vain? And then the Lord tells them, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And the Lord says, Samuel, I told them that I would reign over them. But they don't want that. They don't want that, Samuel. They don't want me. The covering of the Almighty reigning over the people what Moses warned the people about that the Lord is our God the Lord is our King we are a consecrated people we are set apart yeah we're gonna go into this land there's the Amorites the Canaanites the Jebusites the Hittites the Hivites the Amorites the Moabites but that's them they have their ways they have their customs they have their gods they have their idols we're different we are Israel and the Almighty says to Samuel it's not you Samuel it's me they're rejecting me look at this beautiful intimacy that we see with Samuel and the Lord because in this rejection of the people where the Lord tells them you know hey they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me but for the people to reject the Lord And the intimacy is so tight with God and Samuel that Samuel, he feels that rejection. He feels it. He feels that hurt. He feels that pain of a people who have forgotten the Lord. Look at that beautiful intimacy. Yes, it's rare, but look how beautiful it is. And the Lord tells Samuel, hey, heed them. They want a king? Samuel, don't stop them. Don't stop them. Let them have their king. Look what we see here in verse 8. What the Lord says to Samuel in verse 8, according to all the works in which they have done, Since the day I brought them out, uh, since I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and have served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Whoa. And the Lord is revealing to Samuel they don't want me as king, they don't want me as covering. Because from the day of the Exodus, even to this day, even to this day, there has been idolatry. Remember the law of Moses? You know, thus saith the Lord. Well, the Lord says, have no other gods. And look, they have other gods. I told them not to forsake me. And look, here they are forsaking the Lord. Whatever it is that takes focus away from the Lord, Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, whatever it is that takes focus away from the Lord, that is an idol. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It causes blindness. Look at the intimacy with these two, God and Samuel. And God is straight up telling Samuel, Hey, you absolutely feel forsaken, Samuel, because you are forsaken by them, but not by me. They have forsaken me first. You see? And the Lord continues telling Samuel in verse 9, Now, therefore, heed their voice. Heed their voice. One of the very few instances you'll see this where the Lord says, heed the people. But remember who it said to. Samuel. And remember the life of Samuel from a little child. Remember even before he was a child, praying mama, beautiful, beautiful Hannah. When she was barren and her prayer unto the Lord. And the Lord answered her prayers. Remember who the Lord is speaking to. He's speaking to Samuel in whom the formula is right. The Lord says, now, therefore, heed their voice. This is a holy interaction with the Lord and Samuel, the prayer of Samuel. And how the Lord responds to him with direction, direction, just like the elders, you know, they have direction but it doesn't honor the Lord. And, you know, they have a brand of wisdom and their brand of direction says, make us a king. You see? And Samuel grieving, he's brokenhearted before the Lord and the Lord is giving him reassurances, but at the same time, direction. Very, very specific instructions. Samuel, they don't want me as covering to reign over them. Okay, Samuel. Samuel. Let them go. Think of the pain of Samuel. The hurt from a little child. Remember when he was a little kid? The priestly garb made by beautiful mama. From a little child interceding for the people. So that Israel can be clean before the Lord, praying, fasting, making offering, sacrifice, more praying, more fasting, going from town to town to town to town. And it's not for a paycheck, it's to serve the Lord. True. True. If you're listening, you're like, what is that? Go and listen to our study in Leviticus, you'll understand. An old man, Samuel, here in chapter 8. All these years from a little child, all these years interceding. And the Lord says, no more, Samuel. No more intercession. No more intercession for blessings. Now you take that hurt and that pain of Samuel in his short lifespan And how much more with our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name, when the people reject him. Think about the hurt and the pain and the long-suffering of the Most High God, our Father. And God says, Samuel, heed the people. But we see this. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them. You shall solemnly forewarn them. In the Hebrew, it's you shall protest and solemnly warn them repeatedly over and over with forewarning and predictions and announcements that will become manifest. Warn them. And show them the behavior of the king that will reign over them. And so now what happens here in our study is that we exit the prayer of Samuel. And we know that Samuel, he's under orders now. You see, he's under orders. He can't be silent. And so Samuel is forsaken by the people, but not by the Lord. Where God tells them straight up, you know, Samuel, they don't want me as their king. Tell them what lies ahead with their king that they desire. Tell them what lies ahead. Show them the behavior, how it translates in the Hebrew is show them the behavior, the manner, the style, the custom, and the discretion of the king that they desire. Tell them. And we see a kind of democracy here. And when we say that in this democracy, because we see the voice of the people. And that's such a popular thing nowadays. Voice of the people, voice of the people. We've already seen the voice of the people and the impact it's had on the elders, the impact it's having on Samuel because Samuel's hurt. He's grieving and understand there's nothing inherently wrong with the voice of the people, but it's also very delicate, very, very delicate. It's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with walking on the sidewalk. You see, but it's delicate because we have to stay on the sidewalk. I mean, if there's a burning inferno on one side and lions and tigers and bears on the other side, you know, we got to stay on the sidewalk. You know, any deviation from the sidewalk, you're going to burn. Any the other deviation, you know, lion and the bear, you see. So, you know, voice of the people, when the formula is right, praise be to the Lord. But when it's wrong, voice of the people. And today, I presently teach from America, the United States of America, presently. And we're a democracy here. Voice of the people, voice of the people. But what people tend to forget is that we're a republic. We have rules and laws established within our constitution and laws and statutes and ordinances in our land, in the United States. And... It works quite well for the law abiding citizen. It works quite well when the voice of the people is the law abiding citizen. But what happens when lawlessness creeps in? What happens? And not to exclude social lawlessness, what happens when the social order begins to influence the masses where the voice of the people starts to change when it it starts to shift? And then you get political factions and blocks of influence and it eventually leads to power centers and these power centers that require leadership and representation, and then a figurehead that sits in the seat of power and then influence gets on the fast track because laws start to change. Laws start to become altered and redefined and eliminated. And this opens the door for even more lawlessness and more corruption. And the voice of the people turns evil and wicked. You see, nothing new under the sun. We see it over and over and over in the Old Testament. But depending on where you live, you see it in your culture today. Where the voice of the people, you know, a thousand years ago. The voice of the people. I mean, if you're in one of the older, if you're listening and you're in one of the older countries. But the United States is kind of a a baby, you know, kind of a new country. I mean, compared to everybody else. I mean, some countries have been around, you know, forever, not forever, but, you know, a really long time. But the United States, we're just a baby. And the voice of the people in the course of time. It gets evil. It gets wicked. It becomes corrupt. Nothing new under the sun because it happens with countries. It's happened with empires. It's happened with kingdoms. It's happened with peoples. And in the last days, it's going to happen on a global scale. And there will be a figurehead who sits in the seat of power and that will be the Antichrist, a global seat of power. It will be the Antichrist, indwelt by Satan. And the world's going to love him. The world's going to love him like crazy because he's going to bring in peace, false peace. And you look at the world today, it's on fire. The world today is on fire geopolitically, socially, socioeconomically. It's on fire. And in the wings is awaiting The revealing of this particular individual that the Bible calls the Antichrist. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the voice of the people. The voice of the people, a people who have forgotten the Lord. They've influenced those in seats of power. They've influenced the elders. And the elders, instead of representing godliness unto the people, you the, the 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 people go to the elders. Hey, elders, you know we we, we see the Moabites over here. We see the eyes We see the Hittites. And you know what? We we really want a king. Instead of the elders saying, "Hey, the Lord is our king," the Lord is our king. Go to the priests and get right with the Lord. Go to the priests, make sacrifice because you shouldn't even think that way go to the priest and you know we have the levites we have the kohanim and they have they they're, they're going to make you clean before the lord because that's not a good thought to have and so we want you to be clean before the lord we want you to be clean we want your house to be clean so go to the priest see when the formula is right it's it's beautiful Because people can say, you know what, it looks kind of nice there with the Philistines and, you know, they got their king and this, it looks kind of nice. And they go to the elders, hey elders, why don't we have a king? And the elders can say, no, 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 that's, the Lord is our king. The Lord is our king. Go and make sacrifice, make offering so that you can be clean before the Lord, so that you can be clean before our king. The most high God. You see? but what happens when the people say you know what you know we we look at the Jebusites we look at the Philistines we look at the Amorites and they got their kings and their form of government looks really good and they go to the elders hey elders what do you say that we get a king you know how about how about we get a king and the elder might say well you know that's not such a good idea hey, elder here's you know he's a couple thousand dollars for you what do you, what do you say now okay yeah that's a really good idea you know let's let's have a king like the Amorites You see, and the elders, instead of representing godliness unto the people, they've shifted to represent the will of the people. And they go to Samuel, you see, and Samuel didn't know, but the Lord knew. The Lord knew. And the will of the people is now bumped against God himself. You look at this clash, we'll say. And in this clash, and Samuel is praying before the lord and god just straight up tells samuel so you know oh they don't want me as king okay okay tell them about the king they're gonna get remember the lord he's reactionary and in obedience samuel he cannot be silent he has to speak and so he speaks here we see in verse 10 So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. So what Samuel is doing, he's telling Israel about war. And we've already seen wars thus far. But these are not wars where the Lord says, go forth. These are wars where the king of the people that they desire, where the king commands them, my will be done. Instead of the Lord's will, it's the king who says, my will be done. And in verse 12, Samuel continues warning the people. He says in verse 12, he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his 50s will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And some might think, you know, so what? A little war here, a little war there. You got the perfumers, the cooks, the bakers, you know, a nice government job, you know, got good benefits. But remember, the voice of the people is a tightrope. It's a tightrope because it can be good. It can be good. And each step requires special attention and special care. And from the voice of the people, when the formula is right, praise be to the Lord. But the voice of the people can quickly become evil and wicked. And when there's no elders, when there's no judges, when there's no Joshua, no Moses, the wickedness spreads spreads faster you see it spreads faster because who's going to serve as that wall to say no 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 this isn't the right way it should be the elders you know somebody cuz hey elder you know what i think we should have a government like you know the jebusites they got it they got it down kind of nice and it seems to work well for them and look they got nice social system and this and that and look their king he's there he is with this palace and this and that and you know We should be like them and the elders should say, no, no, that's a wicked thought. Don't think that way because the Lord, he's our God, he's our king, and he's the one who rescued us out of Egypt, out of bondage. You see? You have all these safeguards in place where all these elders, all these safeguards in place to say, no, 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 the the will of the Lord And then on top of the elders, you have the priesthood. You have the Levitical priesthood. You have the Kohanim to say, no, 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 the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. But what happens when all those walls have tumbled down? You see, where's the standard of righteousness? Where's the standard of holiness? Is there nobody to say, no, we have to follow the Lord and a person might say but we got samuel we got samuel so everything's fine and yes we have samuel here but look what the lord has told him you see and it's not immediate it's not an immediate thing because after all this time his entire life from a child as covering as sacrifice as intercession as prayer and, and in prayer and fasting he was a child and now the Lord tells them, don't be that wall for them anymore. Don't be that wall for them anymore. And so Samuel here, in obedience to the Lord, he's warning the people. He's telling them about the king that they desire in verse 14. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and he will give it to his officers and servants. Now, do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening where a tenth of the grain and the best of the field? You remember our study in Torah? That's supposed to be for the Lord. That's supposed to be for God. And, you know, what do you expect? What do you expect when the Lord has become forgotten What are we to expect where all of Israel, all of Israel by, you know, in verse 14 and 15, taking the best of the fields and the tenth of the grain, all of Israel will be in violation of the law. Remember Torah? And we can see this and think like, you know, wow, you know, the the priests are going to be busy because Israel has to be clean and precisely, but there's a problem. Where are they? Where are they? Why is it that we've even reached this point for the Lord to speak to Samuel and say, Hey, Samuel, don't be that wall anymore. Why is it that we've even reached this point? Because we have the priests. We have the Levites. We have Kohanim. But the question is, where in the world are they? Because this was never supposed to happen. You see? The things that the Lord put in motion many, many moons ago. And what he also put in motion was the means by which a person can be right with the Lord. You see? We see that this is what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. When the formula is wrong among the people, among the elders, among the Levites, among the Kohanim. And then we see something else. When everything just turns into a mess and the formula is wrong, we see something else. Enter the prophets. Another capacity, but yet in service to the Most High. For the benefit of the people, to those with ears to hear. Remember, the law, the, the, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, where we look at the law and we see, wow, you know what? Sacrifice is a good thing. But we see the prophets, wow, sacrifice is a bad thing. You see? Very important to understand. And so we fast forward into the, the future from 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we see it in the words of our Lord in Matthew 23. When we go from 1 Samuel chapter 8 on our, you know, let's get in my time machine and we go from 1 Samuel chapter 8, we get in the time machine and we go to Matthew 23, where our Lord says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The one who kills the prophets, our Lord says. The one who kills the prophets. You see, rejection of the Lord is nothing new. Nothing new. But neither is His love. Neither is His compassion. And if you're listening and you want to respond to His love, His love for you, you hit pause and you listen to the message, How to Commit Your Life to Christ you commit your life to christ you come back you listen and we continue together we journey together and so we continue here in first samuel chapter 8 and we see this warning from samuel in verse 16 he will take your male servants your female servants your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work he will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants And you will cry out in that day. In verse 18, you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. That's devastating. That's devastating. And a lot of times you hear people, you know, like, how could the Lord do that? That's so mean. That's so insensitive. How could the Lord do that? the lord what about the people how could the people do such a thing and you hear it sometimes you go oh that's so insensitive how could the lord do that insensitive as if the lord has no feeling why do you think he's long suffering old testament new testament and still today why do you think he's long suffering He wants his creation. He desires his creation, but it's the deceiver, the destroyer, that serpent of old who seduces. Remember our study on Sunday? Remember our study on Sunday? He was a murderer from the beginning, that serpent of old. And so Samuel, he says all this and he completes his word. And look at verse 19 nevertheless the people refused to obey the voice of samuel and they said no but we will have a king over us now this response of the people it hurts it straight up hurts because the people want a king i mean everything hurts here chapter eight is a painful chapter much different from last week in chapter seven chapter seven you think okay everything's fine and dandy okay let's You know, get back to life. And then all of a sudden, chapter 8, it's like, whoa, what in the world is happening? The people want a king here. And Samuel says what he says in obedience to the Lord. And Samuel warns them in obedience to the Lord. And the people say, no, Samuel. No, Samuel. Look at the false assurance that the people have. Look at the assurance that Samuel has. And look at the false assurance that the people have. You know, the people's just, you know, Samuel, go ahead and say what you got to say. Samuel, go ahead and say your piece, Samuel. But nope, we disagree. We don't think God would do that. Now listen, anytime you hear a person say, I think God, or I don't think God, immediately, they're very, they might say, I think God and go on a big spiel, or I don't think God and they go on a big spiel. But anytime you hear a person say that I think God or I don't think God, immediately look at the fruit of their lives. Look at their doctrine. Look at their formula. Because the Catholic can say, I think God and go on a spiel, dismiss it. The Calvinist can say, I think God, you know what, ignore it. The non believer can say, I don't think God and go on their spiel, ignore it. Even the lukewarm can say, I don't think God, listen, understand. These people, when they speak, they speak from error. They speak from error. And this is where a lot of Christians get into trouble because the Catholic can say, well, yeah, you know what, I think God would do this and God thinks like this and this and that and this and that. And it's the Christian who says, you know what, I think that too. And what happens is because the formula in the Catholic is all wrong, Doctrinally speaking, and you know, depending on the fruit, you're not going to get good fruit from bad doctrine. And Christians, a lot of baby Christians, Christians without understanding, they get sucked into certain things where the Catholic says, well, I think this, I think that. And the Christian says, you know what, you make a good point, you make a valid point, but they don't have the depth of understanding of the word of God. The baby Christian does not have the depth of understanding of the Word of God where the Catholic can say, like, you know what, I think this, I think that. And the Christian says, you know what, I think you might be right. In fact, you know what, my pastor doesn't teach me so well. So, in fact, I want to go to Mass with you. I want to go to church with you. What do you call your church? And it's, you know, Saint whatever. And all of a sudden, in the course of time, it's the baby Christian Never had the meat and potatoes of the word of God, but it's the baby Christian who gets seduced into other doctrines. All of a sudden, the former Christian is now praying to Mary, praying to angels, you see? So anytime somebody says to you, you know what? I don't think God or I think God, you better understand formula. And in you, the formula has got to be right. You see? Very important to understand. And so with Israel, the Israel here, the people, the people are speaking to Samuel. No, Samuel. No, Samuel, you know, you're old. You're at the end of the road. We'll be okay. We'll be fine. So, you know, go ahead, you know, say what you got to say. Say your spiel. But we're going to have our king, Samuel. We're going to have our king, Samuel. Look what they say. You know, in verse 19, no, but we will have a king over us. In verse 20 that we also may be like all the nations and that our King may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Whoa. The people are rejecting the Lord. You see, they reject Samuel. They reject Moses because Moses told them you are a consecrated people unto the Lord. Don't be like these other peoples and nations. The Lord will be our King and the Lord is our King. The formula's got to be right. Remember in verse 18, you know, where in the course of time, you're going to cry out. You're going to cry out because of your king. The king whom you have chosen for yourselves. Except something else is going to happen. Or not going to happen, we could say. Because it is written in verse 18. The Lord's not going to hear you. You see? You're gonna realize your error, but it's gonna to be too late. The Lord won't hear. Look at the prayer of the people, and the prayer of Samuel. Where you know the Lord in verse 18 says, "You know what? You're gonna, you're gonna, uh, uh, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna pray, and the Lord won't hear. You're gonna cry out, and the Lord won't hear. But then you look at Samuel. He prays. Boom. The Lord is speaking. You see." And that's why we stress a lot. And we're going to keep on stressing it a lot. Formula. It's got to be right. It's got to be right in you. It's got to be right in me. The formula. It's holy. Blueprints. Blueprints for the promised land. And so in verse 21. And Samuel heard all the words of the people. And he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So Samuel goes to the Lord in prayer. Verse 22. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. You see, remember, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. You see, go your way, go to your city, return home. You're going to have your king, all right? You're going to have your king, Israel. Israel. But much better it would have been to heed Samuel, to heed Moses, and have the covering of the Most High God. Now, as New Covenant believers, we read these passages and it hurts. I mean, chapter 7 was beautiful. I love chapter 7. But I love chapter 8 in a different way, it hurts. It hurts because, you know, we're kind of spoiled now. Well, I shouldn't say we're kind of spoiled. We're very spoiled because we have the full counsel of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. We have the full counsel of the word of God. And we know that things would have been much better for Israel because, you know, we we can see what happens in the course of time. We can read. And a lot of times we look at these passages in the Old Testament and we just figure, well, you know, that's Old Testament. You know, how can it pertain to me today? What about us today? What about us in our lives and the choices that we have to make? Choices that honor the Lord. What about these choices that you and me have to make every single day, every single moment of every single day? Remember the Bible, the Bible says that these things of old, they're written for us. They're written for our admonition so that we can learn through their error that God's ways are better than ours. You see? It's you and me. We yield to the Word of God. We yield to Him. You and me. We yield to the Word of God. And remember, the Word became flesh to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.